Half the battle is back. It's me, Daniel Levy, your host. And joining me on this very special UFC 200 edition of Half the Battle is the MMA handicapper of the year, Sean Carey Tattoo. Sean, welcome back to Half the Battle, man. Of the year? The of year? the motherfucking year. Welcome back to Half the Battle, bro. I'm glad to be back, even though this has been problematic so far. And I had a thousand jokes ready to go at Robin Black's expense, and now he's not here, so those jokes are wasted. Yeah, and you know, speaking of Robin Black, unfortunately he did have a family emergency, so we wish him the best. You know, go go on Twitter and uh, send him some good wishes, but you guys know... The show must go on, and the show will go on. We got UFC 200 to cover. It's me and Sean, and uh, we're going to get right down to it. We got Jim Miller. He's minus 250. The comeback on the fireball kid, Takanori Gomi, is plus 210. Now, I mean, this is a battle of two legends of the sport. Obviously, when people break it down, it's either Jim Miller by submission or Takanori Gomi by knockout. But, I mean, Jim Miller's decline to that point where, you know, he was known for his toughness that's what that that was his uh you know his uh his medal jim miller's that tough guy that doesn't get finished well he's been getting finished and now he's been quitting in fights he's straight up lost to diego sanchez i mean that's that's the point that jim miller's at right now but with takinori gomi you know it's interesting because in his last fight i actually thought he looked amazing on the feet but as soon as the fight hit the mat yeah, that was all she wrote. So with Jim Miller, you got to look out for the back take, obviously, because if Jim Miller takes that back, he's choking you out. Now, as a fan, I'm going to hope that Gomi gets that knockout, but uh, most likely he's getting his back taken and getting choked out. You got to watch this one as a fan. I don't recommend taking the shot because, I mean, you know, you're taking a shot on a shot fighter. So it is what it is. What do you think about that, Sean? Well, the real problem with Jim Miller is... Remember when he got kicked in the stomach by Cowboy and he acted like it was a nut shot? Oh, you remember mean, that? You mean the time that he quit against Cowboy and then the ref thought it was a nut shot, so he actually got finished twice in that fight? That was the end. That was the end. When when a really tough guy fakes like he got kicked in the nuts, from that point on, I've bet against Jim Miller every single fight. Um, he's still got something in there, and I would like to go Gomi's way on this, but the problem with Gomi is something's wrong with his chin and he did look sharp last time until something until that happened but i mean it's not out of the realm of possibility that that gomi catches jim miller here it's just gomi was always made of iron and if he's going to take a shot and just fall over you can't really bet on him i would like to bet on him here but i but i can't yeah i mean i highly considered it also just because of like the example that you said, once these guys that are known for their toughness start quitting and then they start subsequently getting knocked out, getting tapped out when they're known for never getting finished, that's when you start fading them. I mean, Takanori has been on the decline forever. So for him, this is nothing new. But man, you know, it's only plus 210. It's not It's not good enough for me to take that shot and justify it. You know what I mean? No, if, if I could know that he could take a couple, then I would bet him. But I don't, I don't think he can take a couple he he was one shot and out and then one shot on the ground and out from Lozon that's that's too much so I mean Jim Miller can get rid of him if he really wants to but he's going to be throwing those haymakers those aren't going to go away one of those could land for sure you, I mean easily right and Jim Miller could fold up tent disappear yeah and you know I, I think that uh 
the biggest thing Jim Miller needs to do here is take that back. Once he takes that back, it's going to be over. And, you know, even in his last fight against Diego Sanchez, which, you know, Jim Miller in his prime would have definitely beat Diego. But even in that fight, he still had that back take going for him. So... You know, we'll have to see what happens. But next up, here's where shit gets real. We got Gegard Mousasi. He's a minus 265 favorite. The comeback on Tiago Maheta Santos is plus 225. Now, uh, I got to say, Tiago Maheta has come a long way since his UFC debut. You recall him going up there against Cesar Mutanch. And uh, Mutanch rocks him with a punch, gets him with this nasty guillotine. And, uh, you know, then in uh, Tiago Maheta's next fight, you know, Hani's uh, Marcus, I was about to say Hani's Taurus, but I meant Hani Marcus was a minus 1,000 favorite. And Tiago Maheta's like plus 800. And, you know, Hani Marcus is going in there 100, 190 pounds. He's been eating some Brazilian barbecue. One big kick to the ribs by Tiago Maheta was all she wrote. That's when he made a name for himself. Then obviously the three-round war with Uriah Hall, which in my opinion he was a bit uh, tentative and gun-shy, but he's learned so much since then. He's become a completely different guy. He, uh, you know, he went in there with Elias, stuffed pretty much all his takedowns. He even took Elias down, and man, that kick to the body is no joke. With Musasi, I mean, what can you say about Musasi? The guy's fought the who's who. He's been there. He's done that. And if you watch his fight with Machida, and then you watch his fight with Talos Latus back to back, I mean, the dude's put on size. Yeah, you know, he's not. He doesn't have a soft frame by any means. It's a matter of is he gonna get caught with a big kick here or or not? You know, it, there's always that time when the young prospect rises to the occasion and surpasses the veteran. It's just a matter of is this gonna be that time or is Gegard Mousasi gonna teach him a lesson in uh, MMA? Who's tougher? Uh... What's his name? Theodoru or Musasi? Because <laughs> he didn't get rid of he didn't get rid of Theodoru. I mean, he's good. I've been betting on him the whole way. Uh, definitely packs a ton of power. But but me and you actually were just talking about something about Musashi. Just recently has come around. He looks surgical in that in that last fight. He looked perfect in that last fight against Latis. Um, his interviews are different. The way he's talking is different. He always had that air of, I don't give a fuck, but this is a different kind of, I don't give a fuck. This isn't like, uh, I don't give a fuck that I'm fighting. This is just a whole new level of, I don't give a fuck. I think stand up, this is competitive and Santos is definitely tough. He's pinpoint accurate. He kicks super hard as we've fucking seen a thousand times. His punches are pretty good. Um, his knees in the clinch are good. And, and all of that for Musashi is true as well. His punches are crisper. Um, his leg kicks are better. Um, and if this was just a kickboxing match, it'd be even odds. And I probably would pass on the whole deal, but it's not. And Musashi can get takedowns and he can probably stay on top if he wants to. Um, and if you really watch that first round of the Theodoro fight, Theodora was getting in his ass a little bit in that first round, and that was just striking. Um, if that guy can get in your ass, then Musashi can definitely get in your ass. Um, but as we've seen before, he's pretty smart. He'll probably just go for takedowns like he did against Uriah Hall, and he held Uriah Hall down like he was nothing and, and basically did almost anything he wanted to. Um, I think there would be sh intermittent chunks of stand-up but for the most part, I think it'll be Musasi on top. And by the time Santos gets to the late second, early third round, he's going to be pretty tired. 
or Musashi should be able to just walk away with it at that point. Barring he doesn't get caught with a big shot, I think it's a 30-27 for Musashi. Now, you mentioned how Elias Theodoro did have success early on, but you know I got a, a theory about that fight. To me, it seemed like Tiago Maheta was trying to test his wrestling, which, you know, that might be a sign of bad fight IQ, but it looked like he was playing around with uh, Theodoro in there the entire time. He, you know, first round, he didn't throw any strikes. He let, you know, Theodoro do his thing, run around the ring and throw little cute kicks. And uh, then he tried to test his wrestling. And then that third round, I mean, you remember that cut on Theodoro. He, uh, he, he busted him up pretty badly. You know, he's training at ATT, so I know his defensive wrestling is getting better. Now, when... Uh, when Uriah Hall got taken down by Musasi, you know, eventually Musasi made his way to the back. But don't forget about that uh, very deep armbar attempt. It was an armbar, yeah. Don't don't, right. don't don't forget about that. That so, happened. Now, I don't I don't know if Santos has that in the old arsenal though. I agree. However, if we were breaking down Hall versus Musasi right now, I'd probably be like, I don't know if Uriah Hall has that in the arsenal too. Don't you agree with me on that? Yeah, sure. That's fair. So, I think that Tiago Maheta has been making improvements. It's just a matter of. Are those improvements going to surpass where Musasi's at now? You know, you can look at them like this. Musasi's right here, and Tiago Maheta's right here. But on any given night, you know, a little, uh, you know, one guy might be sick, one guy might be having his best day, and those uh, levels could fluctuate like this. So you never know if he's going to rise to the occasion or not. I need plus 250 to find out. Plus 225 is not good enough for me to fade, you know, uh, I don't want to say a legend, but a staple of the sport like Musasi. Fuck it, let's call him a legend. Why not? I mean... Yeah, he's a legend. He is. He's been underrated forever. And honestly, what you said about this, it can be true with any fight. You know what I mean? But you can only go on what you know and what you've seen. We don't know, you know, if he fights with his girlfriend five seconds before the fight or something like that. Any Anything like that could happen. What, what we do know is that Musashi's wrestling and top game can dominate Tiago Santos. That's what I feel like we do know. Um, if he lands a kick on Musashi and gets him out of there, even though Musashi is made of metal, I, I mean, I wouldn't be crazy surprised about it, but I don't see it happening. Now, how do you see this fight being contested on the feet? Because obviously we know Musashi is a Dutch kickboxer, very crisp with the straight punches, will mix in the occasional leg kick. But if you stand too long with my head and he gets off on one of those body kicks or head kicks, you know, it could be lights out. It's sharp jab. That's what it is. It's sharp jab. It's every time Santos needs to throw power. This is true with any guy with power. He needs to flatten his feet out. He needs to set and he needs to deliver it. And when you flatten your feet out and you go to deliver it and you get jabbed in the face and then the person moves and then you set up again and then he jabs you in the face and then he moves again. That That's how that's going to go. It's It's jab. It's jab right hand. It's move. Set it up, do it again, do it again, take down. That's that's how I see it. Yeah, he definitely has to use the jab. He's got to cut off that ring because I know Maheta is going to be circling. He's going to be switching his stances, and uh, he's not going to be a stationary target for Musasi. Musasi has to cut off that ring, and if he does, I think he'll get him down. The question is, once he gets him down, what's going to happen there? Is he going to you know pass guard, get in full mount, pound him out, possibly submit him? Or is Maheta going to get back up and then make this a kickboxing match again? He'll get up a couple times, but eventually he'll stay down. And, yeah, Musashi can pass. You know what I mean? Musashi can pass. The worrisome thing about this is that he was gearing up for somebody completely different. You know, he was probably waiting for wrestling from Brunson, and now it's completely on the other side. But he doesn't seem like a kind of guy who's 
you know, dead set in game plan and that's going to throw him off or something like that. I, I think he's going to be fine. This is a, this is a real difference in talent level. And what it is, is a guy on the come up who jumped up a little bit too far on short notice. And he's still going to be good after he loses, but he's going to lose. We're going to have to tune in to find out. I'm not going to count him out, but in order for me to take that shot, I need plus two, five. It's not there yet. So as of now, I am passing. Now, next up, we got a battle of two uh, two, two battle-tested vets. I mean, we got Joe Lozon. He's minus 115. Diego Sanchez is minus 105. If you've been watching the UFC, you know exactly who both these guys are. And, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny because Diego Sanchez finally won a, a legitimate decision in his last fight against Jim Miller. You know, we, we've all been making the joke that he's on, like, a seven-fight losing streak. But finally, he won legit. There were no questions asked. He beat Jim Miller. Now... The interesting thing about this fight is Lozon is known for fading late. So if he fades late in this fight, maybe Sanchez can take over. I just think there's a serious speed difference here. I think Lozon is so much faster than Sanchez, even though Lozon's at the tail end too. Don't get it twisted. But this isn't uh, Evan Dunham. This isn't Ally Kinta. This isn't a top 15 guy he's up against. This is the ghost of Diego Sanchez. And I think uh, Lozon will either take the first two rounds and win the 29-28 or possibly be the first man in UFC history to submit Diego Sanchez, I just think that speed difference with the hands is going to be the is going to be the key here for Joe. Um, I went with Diego gets finished last time, and it was close, but I didn't get it. And it, and he was definitely taking a, a serious ass whooping. I don't think that Lozon can dish out that kind of ass whooping. He's only been stopped once, and I think that was on in the fifth round on cuts, right? Or was it in the fourth round? Yeah, it was UFC 107 in the fifth round. That's that's pretty crazy. If he didn't get stopped last time, I don't think he's going to get stopped this time. Lozon can put it on you for a short amount of time, but not for three rounds. Um, his best shot is taking the back and getting a rear naked choke, but I don't think... I mean, if Diego hasn't eaten that yet, why would he do it now? You know what I mean? Why, why would he go down that way now to somebody who's basically in the same place in their career as he is in his... They're both at the end. Uh, what what they're made this fight for and what we're hoping for is just a complete barn butter, just these guys just crushing each other over and over again, three rounds of it, just bashing each other's face in, getting nice and tired and just rolling around and making it sloppy and ugly, which will be fun. But um, as far as a winner goes, I think Lozon takes the first, the second one's questionable, and Diego takes the third. And in that situation, we know what happens. That's split decision for Diego, right? That's Every right. Time. Yeah. Hey, I feel you on that pick. It's just I really think the speed difference will be evident here. I think people will see what I mean when they start fighting. I mean, you watch the first round of uh, Dunham versus Lozon. I know uh, Lozon got whooped in the second and third, but, I mean, that's Dunham. That's a top 15 guy. But in that first round, he was showing the speed of those hands. And I think if he does that against arguably the slowest guy in the division in Diego Sanchez – he could have success. It's all about not fading late, which he is known for. He's known for it. He's going to do it again. There's no reason why that goes away all of a sudden. And, you know, Diego is going to be in his face. He's going to be putting pressure. He's going to be coming forward the whole time. That's the kind of thing that wears you down. So, you know, this is anybody's fight, but it might be whoever takes the third round. It might be their fight. And I think that's going to be Diego. Now, I don't see a finish. 
Well, I was about to say, it's not out of the realm of possibility for Diego to finally go down. I mean, you know, there's only a handful of fighters that don't get knocked out. You know, Chris Lytle, he made it through his entire UFC career without getting knocked out. As of now, Matt Brown has never tasted the darkness of a vicious knockout. And Diego Sanchez hasn't either. So there's this could be the first time, man. We just have to tune in. I know Joe Lozon's not a knockout artist, but you know at the tail end of these guys' careers, they start getting knocked out by guys that they shouldn't get knocked out by. I mean, look at Gray Maynard. So, yeah, I just uh, I know Diego Sanchez isn't at that point that Gray's at where, you know, Augusta win and he does the chicken dance, but it's coming if he sticks around too long, dude. Yeah, it it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I don't think it's this time. I think it's got to be against a young guy. But, yeah, that has to happen. He, he gets hit too much. He gets hit too much. Yeah, he absolutely does. And, I mean, that's part of his game. That's part of why the fans love him because, you know, he would take so many punches. But the fight game is a bitch, and there's only so long you can do that for. Now, next up, we got Sage Northcutt. He's minus 335, and the comeback on Enrique Marine is plus 275. Now, Enrique Marine, I think he was on uh, Ultimate Fighter Latino America, did decent on the show. You know, actually, he actually did really good on the show. Now that I remember, he made it to the finale, and a lot of people thought he won. He fought a Mexican in Mexico, and he uh, got the short end of the stick on the decision, which many people thought could have gone his way. So this, you know, could be the tough Latino-American winner that we're talking about, Enrique Marine. Now, Enrique Marine is a normal guy, like you and I. You know, if you and I were to fight, we'd probably be pretty slow. We'd probably be pretty unathletic. He's a normal guy. But if Speak you for yourself, Daniel. <laughs> if you had to take a normal guy and you wanted to make him better, you'd probably put him in a place like King's MMA with an incredible coach like Rafael Cordero, with incredible training partners like Benny. You know, I know he's living with Kelvin Gastelum. He's got RDA with him. Now, some guys... King's MMA is make or break. You look at a guy like Jake Ellenberger, he was never the same when he went to King's MMA because, you know, certain guys can't hang in that environment. You look at Pat Cummins, he gets knocked out every single fight. He can't hang in that environment. But then there's guys like Benny, guys like RDA, who thrive in that environment. My question is, is Enrique Marine one of those guys that, you know, he's super tough and he's absorbing the lessons he's learning in the gym from, you know, the champions he's surrounded by? Now, with Sage Northcutt, I mean, is he a fighter or is he an athlete? That's that's the big question here. But one thing that a lot of people often forget is he's only 19 years old. Yeah, he's just a little kid, you know what I mean? And when, when certain people face defeat and they say stuff like, oh, it was a fluke, I'd normally fade them right away. You know, like when Kevin Lee said that uh, the Leo Santos knockout was a fluke and he's saying all this shit about, oh, I was waiting for him to fall. I was like, bro, you didn't face defeat like a champion. But with Sage, I make an exception for him because he's 19 years old. I'm like, dude, you're just a little kid, so I expect you to say it was a fluke. Now, in this fight specifically, obviously, the athleticism difference is like this. But here's my question. What if Enrique Marine weathers that storm? Can he put it on Sage in the later rounds? Or is Sage going to probably finish him early? I, Well, one thing, back to what you said earlier, do you ever feel like some of these jobber-type guys who go to these high-class gyms are just getting the shit knocked out of them on a daily basis, and it's actually a bad thing. No you know doubt I mean? about like, it. Like, they just go there and just get the shit kicked out of them by everybody in the gym over and over again. And they're learning. They're learning how to, you know, take a punch and keep standing, I guess. But they're not, you know, you can't, you can't just beat the shit out of somebody every day. They need their own people and their own team to help them get better. They can't just be a punching bag. And some of these guys, 
you know, I have no doubt that him against somebody uh, around somebody like RDA, he's, he's probably getting the shit knocked out of him daily. Uh, as far as Sage goes, it, it's kind of unfair what happened to this guy. Because as far as being years old, he shows a lot of fucking upside. I mean, no doubt his, his striking is explosive. His hands are fast. He seems to carry some power. His offensive wrestling is pretty good. His defensive wrestling has looked terrible. Um, but with any young guy, I'm sure that he's getting better all the time. He's 19. He has nowhere to go besides up until, you know, if you take somebody like Sage Northcutt this early and feed him to somebody who really kicks the shit out of him, that could be the end of him. That, that happens a lot with, with real young guys. But the UFC wants to move him. When he goes to a gym, I'm sure the people there want to help him. He seems really nice. He trained him with Chandler. You know, he's got a lot of people behind him. And he's got, he's got, he's not the kind of guy who goes into the gym and everybody kicks the shit out of him. He's the kind of guy who goes into the gym as a, as a prospect who's going to be moved. You probably want him to be part of your gym. Maybe the father's a problem, but we don't really know if that's true though, right? Maybe. So it's kind of unfair because he was jacked up in our perception he gets beat. He, he kind of looks like shit against Fister. And now he's crap. But he's not crap. He's 19 with a lot of upside still. And I think he gets past this guy. Um, I am un, I, We don't know what happens to him after the second round or, or later than that against the UFC quality guy. But I think he has enough to jump on Marin early and hurt him with something and get him out of there. Um or at least rack up enough of a lead to survive a, a rocky third round. I don't think Marin is the guy. Um, Marin's got decent sub chops, but you got to imagine that Sage has been working on that. You would hope. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd hope. Now, next up, we got TJ Dillashaw. He's minus 410. The comeback on Rafael Asuncao is plus 330. Now, when TJ Dillashaw beat Hennon Burrell the first time, I mean, he was a plus 850 dog. Everyone counted him out. At least I counted him out. I thought Burrell was going to smash him. And then he went out there and put on the performance of his career. You know, the footwork he displayed, the angles, the, you know, he, he slips and then he throws a head kick. He's, he, he's amazing. But since that fight, in my personal opinion, he's actually declined. I'm going to explain what I mean. So his very next fight, he takes on Joe Soto and, uh, Give me any top 15 guy in the UFC Bantamweight division on one day short notice. Everyone makes the excuse that it was short notice. And they're going to put Joe Soto away in the first round. Give me Jimmy Rivera versus Joe Soto. He's putting Joe Soto away in the first round. Now, TJ Dillashaw was eating so many counters from Joe Soto, the same counters that he ate from Rafael Asuncao the, the first time they fought, where Rafael beat him two rounds to one. You know, since the first Hannon Brown fight, TJ Dillashaw hasn't been moving his feet, man. Like, go, go watch his fight with Soto. Go watch his fight with Dominic Cruz and tell me that he's been moving his feet just like that first Brown fight because he hasn't. I believe it's one of these situations where he had that one incredible performance that blew everyone away. And that performance, you know, people can't erase that from their minds. So they, they think of this uh, unbelievable fighter. You know, TJ is what we like to refer to as an offensive juggernaut. But, I mean, after that Burrell fight, we never saw an unbelievable performance ever again. The Soto fight, how are you getting countered by Soto every five seconds? Go rewatch that fight. Soto. Now, to be fair. When a guy comes in the day of, it's a classic letdown spot, right? Not many people win that fight. For some reason, it, you're just like, 
oh fuck, who am I fighting? And then you got this guy in a, what's the guy, uh, Tiago Santos lost to that complete fucking nobody that switched in in the day of, you remember that? Tiago Maheta? No, uh, did I say Santos? Tiago Silva. Oh. Remember that just happened to him? Oh, in, the, in that other league, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kimbo and Petrozelli is a good example. I think when you get subbed in in the last second, it's that's a classic letdown spot. That's a tough. That's a tough fight to to win. A and it's definitely a tough fight to look good in because you just you just don't give a fuck. You're completely deflated. Hey. I mean, no, he didn't hey. look. Say, he say, didn't look say good that, in that again. Fight. Say that again. Say it one more time. I heard you. Come on. Didn't look good and was completely deflated. That part. Yep, that part. Yeah, he he didn't look good in that fight. He shouldn't have went. He shouldn't have went. Was it five, right? Or was yeah, it four? It was five. five. And, and I'll yeah. tell you what. It was close. People don't think it was close because they just remembered the end. But, dude, it was fucking close. Joe Soto was tagging him with the exact same counters that Rafael Asuncao tagged him with and the same counters that uh, Dom tagged him with. But we can, we can put Dom on the back burner. I understand Dom is a top five pound-for-pound pound talent. But I think Rafael Asuncao is criminally underrated. Seven-fight win streak, wins over TJ Dillashaw, Pedro Munoz, Brian Caraway, Johnny Eduardo. I mean, Rafael Asuncao is no slouch. I understand he's coming off a two-year layoff, but... Long time ago. True that. But I don't think he's one of these uh, juice heads. You know, I don't think he's going to come back looking soft. If anything, maybe the other guy's going to come back looking soft if uh, you, you heard uh, Uriah Faber's comments. And Uriah Faber doesn't really strike me as a liar. He kind of strikes me as a liar. I think the more, people, <laughs> the, the more people who talk about him, it seems to be like, this guy's a fucking asshole. And, and like, the thing that Cruz says about, yeah, you're going to promote your buddies because you're making money off of them, I mean, that is true. You know what I'm saying? That is true. Maybe Uriah Faber is more businessman than fighter at this point. Uh, as far as Raphael uh, Sunsau goes... Rafael. I only go to the R because I'm American. It's spelled with an H, bro. No, it's not. <laughs> Aspect. Um, the problem is he lost that first fight, TJ, in my opinion. He didn't lose, but he, he lost. Um, I really think that TJ Dillashaw is twice as good as that TJ Dillashaw. That, this TJ knocks that TJ out. At that point in that fight... He was a guy with a, you know, decent wild swings with a little bit of power on him, but he was basically a wrestler. He'd basically try to clinch you, take you down, maybe pepper you a little bit. He's completely switched now. He's a striker, my, uh, you know, primarily a striker who wants to keep it standing or uses wrestling when you have no hope of wrestling back. Um, as far as his motivation goes in the Soto fight, no, not good. This time... He needs to win this fight to get back to a title shot. I think he knows that. I think he's pissed off. I think he wants that dominant Cruz fight again. Um, I don't know if he gets it if he wins this fight, but this is a guy who's twice as good as he was when he beat a Sun Sao the first time around. This is a Sun Sao coming off of a two-year layoff against a guy who's going to try to fire on him and pressure him and come after him early. I always like the dynamic of layoff versus aggression. I think that's, that's what this is. You need a little time to get comfortable, a little time to get your shit back together, and TJ's not going to give that. He's going to be all over the place. He's going to be outside. He's going to hit and move. He's going he's gonna to be hard to catch. I think the wrestling is enough to cancel it out. I think 
TJ wins this actually pretty easily. This is a, a bad comeback fight for a Sun Tzu. They should have given somebody a little softer after that long of a layoff and, and that bad of an injury. I respectfully disagree. I think Asunta is going to come through as a plus 350 dog. And I think that after that first brow fight, you know, in that fight, TJ was showing that amazing footwork and all the crazy shit that you were talking about. But since then, he's become a headhunter. He, you know, you mentioned he's twice as good. I think he's twice as experienced, but I don't think he's twice as good anymore, dude. He's been getting tagged with a bunch of shots. What is Rafael Asunta known for? He's known for his counter striking in that first TJ Dillashaw fight with Asunta. Who was hurting who? I know TJ got two takedowns. Okay, cool. Big deal. But who was hurting who? Hafa was hurting TJ. It wasn't the other re- the other way around. Let's not mix it up. And it was with the counters. TJ is so open to those counters. He's not a defensively sound fighter. He's an offensive juggernaut, like I've been saying, man. At plus 350, I got to take that shot, man. I understand the layoff is a concern. That's why I only put one unit on it. If, it were, if, if, if he wasn't coming off a layoff, I'd put more. I just think uh, Rafael... I already said criminally underrated. I don't need to use the same words over and over, but I do believe he's being how do you overlooked. Know what you're, how do you know what you're getting, though? Well, I mean, this is gambling, right? That's why I only put one unit on it instead of three, but plus 350 is total disrespect for a guy of this caliber. Without the layoff, but those layoffs, man, they're tough, man. You know what I mean? A layoff against somebody slow and technical and wants a game plan and wants to work it on you, that's different. But somebody who's going to come in and throw four-punch combinations and end it with a head kick over and over again, it's tough, man. You, you just find yourself behind, and, and you're going to stay there for three rounds. I agree, but the thing is the styles. Rafael's a counterfighter. He wants TJ to come forward so he can counter him. And also another thing that I, I, I want to criticize TJ for, you know, you want to give him props because he's such a hard worker. You know, you mentioned he's pissed off. I feel like this is the kind of guy that overtrains, and you know he might be coming in a little bit old. You know, he leaves alpha male. He he ditches the guy that brought him up from high school to go train with Dwayne, and now he's at TriStar. So is he beefing with Dwayne? I mean, what what what's the deal, Sean? I mean, that seems like a foregone conclusion that nobody's gonna get along with that dude for long. You know what I mean? Like he seems crazy, right? And not only that, so you ditch the guy that brought you from high school to go train with this guy in Colorado, you lose your belt in your first fight, and then all of a sudden, now you're training in Canada? I, I thought you left because the training was better in Colorado. So now now you need different looks in, uh, in at TriStar? I thought you were getting the different looks at Team Elevation. I mean, could be true. That's why they fight, though. We'll find out. I think if you're not there to be countered, it's tough to get countered. Yeah, but I think he will be. So we have, we have to tune in to find out. find out. It's yeah. me against you here, and I can't I might wait. have to watch this. I might have to watch these fights. <laughs> I know, right? So next up, here we, I got another play here, too. We got Johnny Hendricks. He's minus 120. The comeback on Kelvin Gastelum is plus 100. A lot of money has come in on Kelvin Gastelum, and honestly, rightfully so. I don't blame you guys. I took the shot, I think, off the top of my head. It was around plus 145. I truly believe Kelvin will knock out Johnny Hendricks. And I know that sounds crazy for a lot of people. Southpaw versus Southpaw. The thing with Johnny is, you know, he's another one of these guys. He left the team that brought him up, that took him to the championship. I understand there's a whole payment thing going on, you know, where he had to pay his gym a certain amount. And once he got the belt, your pay increases and you still had to pay the same percentage. So he was probably like, fuck this shit. But Sean, we know the deal with the the home gym situation. 
never works out well. With Kelvin Gastelum, you know, earlier on the show, we were talking about how some guys don't thrive in gyms like uh, King's MMA. Some guys are the punching bag, you know, Gian Vellante to Chris Weidman type thing. Kelvin Gastelum doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. He strikes me as the kind of guy that thrives in an environment like King's MMA, you know, training with Benny, training with RDA. And I think that's going to come to fruition at UFC 200. I truly believe he will cut off that ring, find a way to knock out Johnny Hendricks. Now, people talk about Johnny's left hand. You know when the last time he knocked someone out was? <laughs> against Martin Kamen. Before that, against John Fitch. So we're talking about retired guys. We're talking about a different era of the sport. Since, uh, you know, his fight with GSP, things haven't been the same. Look at the third round. Now, I know this was before GSP, but look at the third round of Carlos Condit versus Johnny Hendricks. We already saw signs that he slows down hard in that third. He takes a lot of punches. Watch round three of Robbie Lawler versus Johnny Hendricks, the first time they fought. Johnny was out on his feet taking hard, hard punches. So, I mean... That decline spot has been set up in my eyes a long time ago. And then against Wonderboy, Wonderboy sealed that deal. I think Kelvin puts the nail in the coffin and retires him. Um, let's talk about the home gym thing real quick. The, the, the way I always think of that, not like I'm there, but when somebody's on your back and they're trying to help you and they're trying to say, you know, do this and do that, and you're a little bit lazy and you want to be like, will you fucking leave me alone? enough already you go and you get your own gym because those people aren't going to push you when you will, when you don't want to be pushed i think that comes from laziness um i think that is a thing with johnny Hendricks. i don't know if that gets him a loss in this fight but i think that is a thing as far as why he's doing what he's doing the same thing with like mcdessey for for instance just an, enough leave me alone i'm just going to do this at my own pace even though your own pace is going to get you beat, you just don't, you know what I'm saying? You don't want to be fucked with. You want to be lazy when you want to be lazy. Not good. Um, I took Wonder Boy against Hendricks. The reason why I did that mainly was because that thing where you get to the top, you fight up to the belt, you have it, you don't, you lose, you didn't lose. It's really tough to come back down from that after you've bumped your head on that ceiling and you haven't made it really. And when you come back down and you fight somebody who you might not perceive as much of a threat, it's it's easy to lose to that guy. I saw that happening. I saw him lazy. I saw him, you know, not going to take this fight super seriously. He made it as far as he could. Now he's on the way down. Okay. I saw that angle that time. I do not see that angle this time. For some reason, I think he learned there. He can't take any of this shit for granted. He's got to fight hard every time. Um, and that's just diagnosing what's wrong with what may be wrong with Johnny mentally. Just talking about the fight. The biggest thing about this fight for me is that Neil Magley, Neil Magny threw Kelvin Gastelum around a lot and he did it easily in that fight. If Neil Magny can throw you around, Johnny Hendricks can throw you around. Johnny Hendricks can throw you on your back and get on top of you. Um, Kelvin also gets hit and gets hurt. Um, you know, Johnny Hendricks still possesses that power. I think standing up, some of the stand-up that we saw against Lawler, that's better than anything that I've ever seen from Kelvin. Wrestling-wise, I think he could easily out-wrestle Neil Magny. Neil Magny had fun taking down Kelvin over and over again. I think that Johnny's better there. So Johnny, to me, is better in every in every facet of this fight. 
but you can't count on him because you don't know if he's a head case. You don't know what his weight is going to be like. You don't know any of that stuff. So it's, it's tough to go either way on this. I would like to go Kelvin, but he's just simply not the better guy. He's just not the better guy. I, I, I bet on Johnny not being right in the head once. It worked. I am not wanting to bet on Johnny not being right in the head this time. I'm betting Johnny this time. I mean, I bet against him in that second Robbie fight. I bet against him in the Wonder Boy fight. And I'm betting against him here, man. I also bet against him in the Matt Brown fight. That bit me in the ass. But in this spot, <laughs> I like it, man. And, you know, you bring up the Magni fight. And, you know, on paper, it's a great example. But, dude, every fight is completely different. When he was training for that fight, I doubt in the back of his mind he was like, Oh, you know, Neil Magny is a takedown threat, so I'm going to work my defensive wrestling during this camp. Whereas with Johnny, D1 All-American, I know he's been drilling that. And also, I mean, every fight is different, dude. You know, if uh, you can make the example, well, if Shogun can last, you know, up to the third round with John Jones, then he could probably last up until the third round with OSP, right? Wrong. Every fight he, is different. He slipped dude. on a banana peel, though. <laughs> they threw it. They threw a skateboard, and he yeah. slipped on it. You know. But yeah, every fight is different, man. You know, Magny has a completely different body type than Hendricks. We're talking about a five foot eight guy versus a six foot one guy with the longest reach in that division's history. So completely different matchup, and you know, arguably Kelvin did win the fight. But this is a this is different. This is a three round fight. Man, I just think... Uh, and Kelvin lost those first three rounds real bad. The, 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 th the third round is up for debate. The first two, 100%. But the third... Was there, not, was there a knockdown in the third round, or was that the fourth? The, the knockdown yeah. was in the fourth, but the third round, you know, the first half, Magny was winning, but then, uh, you know, Kelvin got that takedown at the end, ended up on top, and arguably won the third round. So it all comes down to how, how you scored that one, because it was a 48-47 on all three cards, if I remember correctly. So... Yeah, this is a different matchup, man. I don't think uh, Johnny's got much in the, in the tank. I, I agree with you. He'll probably come in more motivated than he was for Steven Thompson. But, dude, oh, oh yeah, let's, let's talk about the weight. That, that's really important, too. So, he, you know, he walks in at uh, 175 pounds on fight week for the Thompson fight. I'm like, dude, you're big rig. You're not little rig. You're not skinny rig. You're big rig. And he was coming in there as skinny rig. Now, I think he'll probably come in around 185 pounds. He's got Lutrition with him. Lutrition's a cool dude. I had him on the show. But, uh, you know, when we're making these predictions, this shit can be cold and ruthless, but it is never personal. And it's nothing against Lutrition, but, you know, Johnny needs to be walking around, like, at 210 pounds. You remember that GSP fight? Look at his physique in that fight. Then look at his physique in the Wonder Boy fight. I mean, Johnny's not supposed to be a skinny guy. He's a powerful guy. Powerful guys aren't skinny. You know what I mean, Sean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I think, you know, he did that to save some cardio. That didn't work. You know what I mean? I think... I think if his head is right and he just does what he does, he'll win this fight. I, I have never really seen anything out of Kelvin Gastelum that's, that's made me be like, wow, wow, that guy's good. He doesn't really do anything that good. He's tenacious. He keeps on trying to win. He doesn't go away. That, that's good. But that's very fucking good. You want a guy yeah. that's going to go forward, that's going to cut off that ring, that's going to come to fight, that's going to try to win until the bitter end. It's a tough call, man. I, the, the better guy could fail because he could implode. That's what I think. Um, you know, Kelvin Gaslam is a guy with a little implode going on himself. You know what I mean? We haven't seen these weigh-ins yet. Who knows how fat he's going to be. I agree. But, you know, this is a prediction. We're making predictions. 
I predict he will come in in shape. So I took uh, him straight for one and a half units, and I'm really considering that KO prop at plus 725. But uh, I haven't pulled the trigger on that. I'm just playing it straight for now. But if he knocks him out, you know, it's one of those situations like we always talk about. You know, if you're right, you're a genius. If you're wrong, you're a fucking idiot. So uh, we'll, yep. we'll, we'll see what happens. But Southpaw versus Southpaw, you know... I think the younger, fresher guy is going to cut off that ring, throw those big left kicks, and uh, it's actually going to be to the leg and to the head because of the southpaw versus southpaw thing. But uh, he's going to do his thing, man. I see him stuffing the takedowns, even though he didn't do it against a six foot one Neil Magny when he probably didn't train any defensive wrestling, and rightfully so because you wouldn't expect that from Magny. But uh, as you know, since you bet on Magny every single fight, Magny's evolved into one of the best fighters in that division, dude. Yeah, he's a monster. I just don't think he should be taking Kelvin down. I think Kelvin was surprised. You know, but motherfucker, you got surprised like nine more times right after that. You know what I mean? Like, be surprised once, but he just, he got lifted up and taken down yeah. multiple times. He got his, he, he let Magny sl slip around to his back like he wasn't even paying attention. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's something about him that's just, it doesn't do it. I mean, I wish you luck because I have no money in this one. Thank you. So I hope you win. Yeah, I hope I win too, and I, I, I believe that you know a 24-year-old kid can make big improvements from November of last year to, what month are we in, July? To July of 2016. You know, there, there's so much window for opportunity to improve, and I believe those improvements will be shown on Fight Night. At least I hope, because my money's on the line. Now next up, we got, oh, here we go, we got movie breakdown time. We got Kat Zingano, she's minus 175. The comeback on Juliana Pena is plus 155 now. Both these chicks are known for their relentless pressure. They both come to fight with uh, Pena. What she's really good at is she wills herself to victories. You know, she'll, uh, she'll take some shots early on, but once she gets you down to the ground, she's very vicious on top. With Kat Zingano, you can never count her out of a fight, but she was weighing about 175 pounds not too long ago. Now she's, you know, going to fight at 135. That, uh... That's a big cut, man. That's no fucking joke. So I don't fault the shot on Pena. For me personally, I'm going to sit back and watch these two chicks throw down. I'm out of movies, unfortunately. So I'll actually have to talk about this fight. Um, you know, Pena's striking sucks, and Zingano's striking is pretty good. But after that amount of layoff, who, who the fuck knows what you're getting here? Who knows what you're getting? And when you watch her... <clears throat> when you see her where she's training, she's off here, she's in Thailand, but it's all vacation pictures, and you know what I'm saying? Some, something's not right with her. Dude, um, so sorry sorry to cut you off. She goes to Thailand, she goes to Alliance, she goes to Team Elevation. I mean, she's almost uh, pulling a TJ Dillashaw here. Yeah, it could be a, you know, stop pushing me. I'm, you know, I'm uncomfortable when you push me. I know I'm 175 pounds, but uh, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, I'll do it my own way. You know, that's not going to work out, but uh, I don't know. Pena doesn't really have much going on, in my in, in my opinion. A, a decent Kat Zingano wins this fight. You just don't know if she's going to be decent coming into this fight. And plus, they're girls, so who really fucking knows? Yeah. Uh, may the best woman win, right? Now, next up, Cain Velasquez. Cain Velasquez. He's minus 290. The comeback on Travis Brown is plus 245. Now, Sean, let's, uh, let's do a little MMA trivia. Who has had their arm raised more recently, GSP or Cain Velasquez? Wow, I guess it's got to be GSP, huh? It is GSP. Yeah, you know, you know, I set you up for that, and uh, yeah. So Cain hasn't had his arm raised since 
October 2013, okay? Just just think about that for a second. So back then, he was the fucking man. He was taking care of Junior Dos Santos. He was also taking care of Bigfoot Silva, um, you know, big deal. But, you know, he, he, he has an argument to be one of the best heavyweights of all time. You know, Kane, his relentless pressure, his uh, cardio, not in the last fight. But when you're this Mexican hero and your title defense is in Mexico, which is notorious for the elevation, and you don't go out until two weeks before the fight, that's not the sign of a world champion. That, that's the sign of a journey, man. You know, all these guys on the prelims were going out a month or two in advance. You're telling me the, the Mexican hero couldn't go out early in advance for the biggest fight of his life the first time, I believe. Actually, the second time the UFC went to Mexico because the first time Kane pulled out, which he is known for. But the second time in UFC history that they go to Mexico City, you couldn't go a month in advance to acclimate. You know, I just, uh, and it's been over a year since then, dude. That was before Reebok. That was before USADA. So I, I think Kane, you know, all the back surgeries, all the knee surgeries, not the same guy. With Travis Brown, yeah, he is a little bit chinny. But uh, I think he actually has a little a, bit. <laughs> I think he actually has a good shot in this fight. I mean, look, he's only been knocked out one more time than Kane. So, you know, it's not like he's fucking Gray Maynard or, <laughs> or any shit. But look, he, in his last fight against Mitrione, the only thing people remember are the eye pokes. They don't remember that that was actually Travis Brown's best use of range in his entire UFC career. He actually looked the best he's ever looked in that fight. He finally put it together. Versus no pressure. Versus no pressure. This is true. My, my question here is what kind of pressure can Kane put on with, uh, you know, being out as long as he's been out, all the surgeries on his back and his knee, you know, he's a two-time world champion. Is he really trying to be a three-time world champion now? I just, I just don't see it, man. I think what's going to happen is Brown can, you know, utilize the eye pokes. If, uh, <laughs> if Kane Velasquez gets in on his leg, the big elbows to the, to the back of the head, I feel as if the elbow to the back of the head will be a big weapon in this fight. I took Travis Brown at plus 250. I know it sounds dumb as fuck on paper, but I don't care. I think he's going to knock out Cain Velasquez straight up. I mean, it's not dumb as fuck. It's, it's heavyweights. When Cain fought Verdum, I was all over Verdum. I thought Verdum was, was way better striking-wise. And it worked out that way. I got lucky. But I was coming from a place like... I think a lot of people are looking at this fight of how bad Kane was in that fight. He was complete shit. He's, you know, a shell of himself and all that. I don't think that. I think he was going to, the best Kane would have lost to the best Verdum that night. Kane gassed that night because of elevation. Verdum gassed that night because of elevation. I think Kane has, has been training with DC. They're going back and forth. He has had a lot of surgeries. I'm sure he's not the cane of old. This is after USADA, granted, all that shit. But when it comes down to it, I'd say half of good cane, 50% of good cane gets rid of Travis Brown in one round. I don't think Travis Brown is good at all. I think Travis Brown, you know, not only is he chinny, but he's super hittable. And when you pressure him, he backs straight up and ah, he just he just – he lets you get to him over and over again. He's not thinking in there. He's not thinking in there. That's another, you know, that's another camp switcher and, and, and possibly a lazy dude. Um, he looked okay against Mitrione, but Mitrione was tagging him and Mitrione brought no pressure. The, the real story of that fight is that they stood there and really fucking did nothing for a super long time. Um, but Sean, sorry to interrupt, but what, what kind of uh, pace can you push? 
when you fought one time since 2013. Yeah, you're right. And I, I hate layoffs. It's, but this isn't layoff against aggression. This is, this is layoff against the guy who's going to wait on you. Um, you know, it's for everything that you can say about Kane coming back in this fight, the layoffs, the surgery, all that, it's all overwhelmed by the fact of how bad Travis Brown is. He's not fucking good. He's not good. And he's going to get hit. He's going to get hit with combination. He's, he's going to fall over like a dead bug like he often does. I don't. I, I think this is an easy fight for Kane. I think Kane steamrolls him. I think he rolls right over him in one round, and everybody's going to be talking about how good he looked, and he's back, and we'll get a good number fading him next time. But this is the one where he comes in and, and crushes. I think on paper, you're 100% correct, because when the fight first got announced, I was like, man, Kane's going to fucking kill him. But then I really looked into it, you know, the whole not winning since 2013 thing, the whole uh, looking like total shit and not giving a fuck about being the Mexican hero and fighting in Mexico. Like, come on, man. Like, you could, you know, I know for a fact that Travis Brown was headlining a Hawaii card. You know, actually, I don't know for a fact, but I, yeah. I, I would assume that he would take that shit seriously. But I mean, there's no elevation there, so that's, that's actually a really shitty example. But what I'm trying to say is, if Travis Brown was Mexican and he was this fucking hero, he would have gone to Mexico two months early to acclimate. I know he would have. But Cain, Kane, I don't know, bro. You know, on paper he should whoop Travis. Travis goes down every single fight, right? He's uh, hittable, like you mentioned. Just there's something about the dynamic of this fight. I think Kane shoots in on the takedown, eats those elbows to the back of the head. Hopefully the ref doesn't call them illegal, and it's counted as a knockout. And I cash that plus two fifty. So uh, we'll have to. Tune or he in. could just bury his head in his stomach and take him down anyway. Yeah. You never know. I, well, he does. Uh, Travis does have an above eighty percent takedown defense, but he's also never fought against Kane. So you know yeah. that, that's neither here nor there. But uh, I, I, I'm intrigued. Kane's totally finished. He's totally finished if he doesn't win this fight. If he doesn't win this fight, he's fucking gone. It's over. It's over with. This is extreme, extremely winnable and set up that way on purpose. Well, I think it's over regardless, man. Because even if he beats Travis here, I'll still fade him in his next fight. You know what I mean? This is, a, this is a heavyweight division where everybody looks like shit for more than a year before they come back and get to the top. You know what I mean? He could easily look like shit for, for everything up till now. Win, boom, back in it, reinvigorated, wants that belt back, done. How many uh, three-time world champions are there? And I don't mean three-time as in defend the belt three times. I mean win the belt on three separate occasions. Didn't Randy do some shit like that back in the day? I don't know. This heavyweight division, dude, it seems like nobody can defend the belt once anyway. So who knows what's going to happen. Who you got between Stipe and uh, Overeem? Stipe. Yeah, me too. Now, next up, we got Frankie Edgar. He's minus 115, and Jose Aldo's minus 105. Two legends of the sport. I mean, you got the greatest featherweight of all time, Jose Aldo, against the greatest lightweight of all time, Frankie Edgar. And yeah, I just said the greatest lightweight of all time. You know, in my opinion, he never truly lost his belt. I thought he beat Benson both times, at least the second time. Come on, he definitely beat him the second time. You know, the first time he fought Benson, it was all about that upkick in the second round, but it's like. You land an upkick in the second round, so how does that win you rounds three, four, and five? That, that's what I'm wondering. But, you know, I'm going to put my bitterness aside, and we're going to talk about this fight here. You know, the first time they fought, it was a closely contested battle. A lot of people uh, say that it wasn't, but it was. It was very closely contested. First two rounds, Aldo looked like uh, the pound-for-pound pound number one king, which he tends to do in the first two rounds of his fights, unless he's fighting uh, Conor McGregor. But, uh, you know, he looked like a... like. 
the fucking pound for pound goat in the first two rounds against Edgar. But then Edgar did what Edgar does. He keeps coming forward. He's got that will to win. He wants it so much. And he arguably won the next three rounds, at least four and five for sure. This is a different matchup. They're at different places in their career. In my opinion, Jose Aldo started to, de to decline around the Korean zombie fight and then the Mendez fight. That, that was that moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to fade him after this. I'm talking about the second Mendez fight. You know, I, I, that's when Jose started to look old in my book. You know, fighters always get to that point where they start to look old and you fade them in their next fight. And interestingly enough, his next fight came two years later. So, I mean, the dude barely ever fights. And then two years later, he goes in there against uh, McGregor, gets one punched. Not only did he get one punch, let's talk about the follow-up punches. Those follow-up punches, those hammer fists, were life changers. One doesn't simply come back from that. You need six to eight months off. Ha has it been six to eight months? I know it's probably been six months. Has it been at least eight months? In my opinion, you need eight months to a year. Fuck six months. You need to take a year off after getting concussed like that. I don't believe he's taking the proper amount of time off. Last time Frankie Edgar fought you know, one of Conor McGregor's corpses, in uh, Chad Mendes, he knocked him out in the first round. I believe he'll knock Aldo out as well because Aldo's coming back too soon. That That's simply all there is to it. You know, I, I think that Chad threw Frankie off with the leg kicks because when you think about Chad Mendes, you know, Mike Tyson of the featherweight division, you know, big overhand right, big left hook. Yeah, I know, I agree. I thought it was bullshit, but that's what people call him, right? So in Frankie's case, he was just worried about the big overhands. Okay, I got to watch out for his hands. That's why he got kicked a lot. And then he obviously he countered and knocked out Chad. With Jose, he knows he's got to look out for the kicks this time. And uh, Frankie has been susceptible to the kicks in the past. But this dude wills himself to victories. Both these guys are Hall of Famers. I just think Frankie Edgar's at a better place in his career. Now, I know we're talking about 34 years old versus 28 years old. But that's not the story in fight years at all. That's not no. the story. Not, not even fucking close in fight years, you know. Frankie still has that desire to be the champion. He wants it really badly. He wants to make history. He wants to be the third uh, two-division champion in UFC history. The other two are Randy Couture and BJ Penn. In my opinion, he wants to be a three-division champion. After he takes care of Aldo, you know, maybe fight Max, and then go down and take care of Dominic Cruz, become a three-division world champion. But first things first, Jose Aldo, you can't look past him. I just think Jose Aldo's coming back too soon, Sean. There's so many red flags in this fight. You can't, you know, none of these red flags get you a win is the problem. Problem. But look, there's not a lot of clearer cases of a guy on the way up and a guy on the way down, regardless of age, okay? I, I agree with you. I think Aldo was on the way down. I think he also fought to the level of competition and, and does what he does to win. He's not really about blowing people out. But I thought he looked like shit in the Korean zombie fight. I didn't think he looked good in the second Mendez fight either. Um, then he gets totally starched and gets the coffin nails dropped on his head after that. Uh, everybody in that camp, not so fucking hot. Uh, Pedneris talking about wanting out. Aldo talking about wanting out. You know what I mean? That, that camp is on its way down. I don't trust anybody in that camp right now. Um, and it, it still carries some of that respect, but I, I don't really think that it, it should. It's, it's, it's been a while now. It's been a while now that they haven't really been putting much together. Um, on the other hand, Frankie Edgar continuously looks better over and over again. And then comes around to, he knocks out Mendez. Anybody that you fed to Edgar, he's stomped the shit out of him recently. Uh, this is Aldo on the way down, Frankie on the way up. The first fight was close. I thought it was a clear victory for Aldo. 
but still close. Now you take all these new things that added in that that have happened, add them together, and that close fight swing. Frankie has to check leg kicks. Frankie has to get after it, throw punches, sit down on punches a little bit more, remind Aldo what it's like to be knocked out. On top of all that, Frankie is obsessed with winning the title. Aldo is obsessed with McGregor. That's all the fucker talks about is McGregor. That's all he talks about is McGregor. You want to see what it looks like when somebody's looking past somebody? Read anything that Aldo says. He is looking past Frankie. He wants McGregor. Aldo is obsessed, or excuse me, Frankie is obsessed with winning the belt. And it seems like Aldo isn't really thinking about that. I I think this is going to be a pretty clear victory for Frankie. He continues on the way up. And yeah, I think Holloway is next. But check leg kicks, do Frankie things, come forward, throw a lot of punches, sneak in those takedowns. I, I, I expect Aldo here to be tentative, not to be over-aggressive. Over-aggressive leads Aldo into reactive takedowns and ends up on his back getting up over and over again and getting tired and definitely losing uh, the late rounds of the fight. An over-aggressive, or excuse me, a, a tentative Aldo leads him to get out-volumed over five rounds. That's what I think. So, you know, if Aldo can pull this off, pull, put it together like he didn't just get knocked out and crushed for the first time, for the worst time that's ever, worst thing that's ever happened to him, to the worst person who could ever do it to you. If he recovers from that like nothing's ever happened, I'd be fucking surprised. But if you can pull that off, more power to you. I don't think you can. I think Frankie's way better on the way up. I think he wins this fight, decision or late finish. I mean, let's be honest here. Uh, Jose Aldo's reactions have remained the same. I mean, Frankie Edgar has clearly evolved. A lot of people would criticize him for going to decisions, which in my opinion is absolutely ridiculous because you watched the fights that went to decision and they were some of the best fights of all time. But he has evolved because now he's knocking dudes out. You know, I think uh, three of his last five wins are inside the distance. So Frankie consistently gets better. He's always evolving. He's always working on his game. And, you know, him and Mark Henry, they have such a bond. You were talking about how, you know, Pedaneris was, you know, he, he's one foot out the door. That ain't the case with Mark Henry, dude. You know, Mark Henry, If I don't know if you watched the countdown with Eddie versus RDA, but Mark Henry's got a fucking mansion. And in the basement of that mansion, that's where he holds pads. And on the walls, he's got all these combinations written out, and they're all in code. Like, you know, during, during the fight with Frankie, he'll be shouting shit out like, uh, he'll be like, Jersey, Jersey. And then, you know, Frankie will do some crazy shit. They got code names for everything. And with Aldo, you know, it's the one-two to the leg kick, the left hook to the body to the right leg kick. I mean, we get it, you know. at You know, back in his day, we had never seen anything like that. So he would blow people over. <laughs> but now we're so used to it that it's like, you know, he hasn't evolved. He's remained the same. And it's that passing did, him by. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, this is a doggy dog sport. And if you remain the same and don't evolve, like you said, Sean, It'll pass you by, and not only will it pass you by, it'll pass you by in devastating fashion. Yeah, as we just saw. And as we're about to see this Saturday night. Now, next up, movie time, we got Misha Tate. She's minus 250. The comeback on Amanda Leoa Lioness Nunez is plus 210. Look, we all know the deal. First two rounds, that's where Amanda Nunez has the best chance. If she's going to win this fight, it will be within the first two rounds. After that, you know, Misha Tate can come back and, and break her a little bit because 
Nunez is known for breaking. And I think the reason that she breaks, I don't think it's because she's mentally weak or anything like that. I think she just can't maintain the pace and the output that she brings in those first two rounds because she's balls to the wall or uh, whatever the term I should use here is. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but look, she's she she's all systems go in those first two rounds, but then she has nothing left in the third. So if she can't put Misha away, she's going to get put away. It's just, it all comes down to what happens in those first two. Maybe even the first, because I mean, Nunez is known for finishing people in that first round. But if she doesn't, she's fucked. So I'm just going to tune in to see what happens, man. I mean, this one's pretty fucking easy to figure out. You just said it. It's it's Nunez early or Misha late. Um, you know, the variables in this fight are Nunez knows that she's got problems with gassing out, right? She knows this fight's five rounds. She knows that Misha wants to take her deep. Does she come out a little slower because of that? Does she try to conserve early? Does she not push as much as she normally does? I, I mean, that would be playing right into Misha's hands. The other variable is Misha talking about how she can beat Nunez standing and that she's, you know, she's be completely fine to have a stand-up fight with. That's a fucking terrible idea. What do you, I, I hope that's gamesmanship or something. I hope you're joking about that. Please don't do that. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, what we've seen is, is Misha survive, you know, except for those times. <laughs> Misha survive some rough spots and then finish late. I think she survives the early spots and finishes late. Next up, we got Mark Hunt. He's minus 170. The comeback. Oh. I know. The comeback on, uh, on, I, I, Brock, I was going to make a joke, but I couldn't think of one. <laughs> Brock Lesnar <laughs> is plus 150. Now, look. Last time we saw Brock Lesnar inside the octagon, we all know what happened. Alistair Overeem, you know, he uh, he kicked this dude's liver off. You know, before that, Cain Velasquez finished him. Prior to that, you know, he should have retired after the Shane Carwin fight because he was coming back from that disease, you know, overcome adversity outside of the cage, overcome adversity inside of the octagon with that Shane Carwin fight, submit him in the second round. You know, he should have gone out on that note. That should have been the... Uh, what, what is it? The watermark? The water? What's the fucking word I'm looking water, for? Watermark sounds good to me. Sure. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. Go with that that, that, that yeah. should have been the point right there where he should have said, hey, man, I, you know, I proved that I have the heart of a champion. Look what I just overcame. Look at me. I took the ass whooping like a man and then I submitted him. I took the diverticulitis like a man and then I came back in here and got a victory. But you know how it is with these guys that stick around too long, right? And, uh, you know, Ken Velasquez took care of him and then uh alistair Overeem took care of him then you you see a couple clips of brock and uh the fake wrestling shit and he's turning purple and shit i'm like dude why is this guy purple like he's literally not healthy he should not be fighting this is his first fight uh since 2011 that that is not a good sign at all and you do not want to be taking on mark hunt in your first fight since 2011 i don't care if mark hunt is minus 170 i don't care if he's minus 270 Mark Hunt is going to knock him out. I don't think Brock's even going to get a takedown here because it's not the same guy. People have the memory in their head of, you know, him knocking down Heath Herring and Heath doing that somersault or him, uh, you know, ground and pounding uh, Frank Mir. He even took down Cain Velasquez back in his day. But that was a long time ago. That was a different era of the sport. And that was before Brock Lesnar turned purple, before he exerted any kind of energy. And with Mark Hunt, I mean, this guy, while Brock Lesnar's been out doing the fake wrestling shit, Mark Hunt's been putting in work. He's been going up against guys like Stipe. I know he got he got whooped, 
But so what? Stipe is the motherfucking champion. At least he, he's been in there with Stipe. And then before that, he went in there with the champion before Stipe with, with Werdum. He's been in there with Frank Mir. I mean, he's been putting in the work, man. He's been going in there against everyone, dude. And in my opinion, his takedown defense has improved. So, you know, I, I think he's going to knock out Brock in the first round. Whether it's the uppercut, the left hook, maybe even a knee, maybe an elbow. Whatever it is, Mark Hunt will KO Brock Lesnar stiff in one. Wow, that's that's daring. This this is another genius or idiot, right? Like, yeah. whoever wins this fight uh, is probably going to do it so easily that everybody on the other side is going to you're going to be able. What the fuck were you thinking? You know, what I mean, no matter what happens, it, it's it's pretty simple. Brock could fucking runaway truck, double leg Mark Hunt, get on top of him and hold him down and pound his fucking face until he rolls into an arm triangle. That could fucking happen. That could happen way easily. Mark Hunt could hit him with the first combo that he throws and knock him out cold. That could fucking happen easily. The thing about this, this fight gets talked about a lot, and I've got a lot to say about certain parts of it. Like, Brock doesn't like to get hit. Guess what? That's fucking true. And it, people's response to that recently has been, nobody likes to get hit. No. <laughs> yes. yes. Yes, they fucking do. Yes, they do like to get hit. Matt Brown likes to get hit. Here's what happens when you hit Matt Brown. He goes, all right, motherfucker. That's what he's thinking. You know what I mean? Like, Carlos Condit, when you hit him hard, he goes, all right, I'm in a fight. Let's fight. Nate Diaz. Robbie, Robbie, Nate Diaz. Robbie Lawler. When you hit him, he, he bites down and goes, come on, motherfucker. When you hit Brock Lesnar, he goes, oh, shit. Oh, fuck. Take a deep breath on this one. Oh, shit. He doesn't like it. And, and it's not... That that shows itself in, in many areas. He's kind of like a classic front runner in, in that way. And just of the technical aspect of him defending himself, I'm sorry, but he reacts like a guy who's been in the boxing gym for a couple weeks. He pulls his face out in a way he doesn't want to get hit. He can't see the second one coming. Mark Hunt's punches, he's not going to charge. Mark Hunt isn't going to charge him and try to get rid of him. He's not. He's probably going to wait and back up. And when he throws punches, he faints and sees where your head goes. Then he throws two punches and sees where your head goes. The next two punches are where your head went the first two times. Brock Lesnar is not prepared to fucking deal with that. His, his whole game of defending his face is purely amateur it's not fucking good it's not good that first punch isn't the one that knocks him out maybe but the second one is because he didn't see it because he's fucking looking away another thing that i said is the the uppercut on a takedown okay when i say he's gonna hit him with an uppercut on a takedown i guess that people get this picture in their head where brock charges and and Mark Hunt goes, Shuruken, and fucking hits him perfect and, and flops him out of the cage. Okay, no, it's not that. It's a moment. It's an off-balance moment. It's a bend over at the waist and reach, and it's an eat uppercut from a side that you didn't see. And guess what? Cain Velasquez steps right when Brock leans forward at his waist, puts both arms out, hits him with an uppercut under his left arm, hurts him, chases him across the ring, and finishes him. You know who's really good at stepping to the side and throwing an uppercut under your arm? Ask Roy Nelson. Because he got hit with the fucking hammer of all uppercuts that knocked Roy Nelson out cold, flat on his face. That doesn't happen to him. 
Okay. Mark Hunt stepped to the side and hit him with an uppercut that he didn't see under his arm. And, and I'm not saying that's exactly what happens in that fight, this fight, but that is the kind of stuff that can happen in this fight. Um, Mark Hunt can get rid of you with anything that he throws. Brock Lesnar can take you down and stay on top, but you can get back up. And if you get back up, you've got a chance to get rid of him. You can get back up and, and get a chance to get rid of him for three rounds if you want. Mark Hunt gets tired. Mark Hunt doesn't have great takedown defense. Mark Hunt doesn't have great cardio, but he does swing hard in the third round. We've seen it a fucking thousand times. He still tries to get rid of you when he's tired. Um, who knows what Brock Lesnar's cardio is looking like right now? Like you said, he's turned purple and, and not real fighting. Um, <laughs> if he does get a takedown shirked off, can he get another one? Can he keep going from there? Does he get disappointed? Does he give up on himself? Maybe. You know, he can take a decent shot, but he doesn't. he doesn't like it. He doesn't think he's winning when he's getting hit. I'll tell you that. (laughs) And then on top of all that, in any other circumstance with any other two guys fighting, what the fuck are you taking a guy with a five-year retirement layoff for? Why is that okay? Why do you say this guy coming off a five? Yeah, he's going to be good coming in this fight. No, he's not. No, he's not. He can say he's healthy all he wants. (laughs) You know what he said before the over fight when he was definitely diverticulitis whatever the fuck it is i'm fine i can fight no you can't you lied and you're lying this time you're in trouble dude you're getting knocked out mark yeah, hunt yeah and you know how you mentioned how he doesn't like getting hit and all these people are like no one likes getting hit yeah yeah shut the fuck up but listen let's be real here when brock lesnar brought in pat barry to be his training partner i don't know if you heard the story sean but uh so the first day they sparred you know pat barry he throws a one two just a classic uh, nice combination he hits brock on the face Brock's coach uh, taps Pat Barry on the back. He pulls him aside. He, he takes him to the corner. He's like, dude, you're not allowed to hit Brock. Like, straight, straight up. He, <laughs> say, he said, you're not allowed to hit him. And, and Pat was like, wait, well, so, so what am I here for? Like, I'm, I'm the kickboxing guy. I'm not the wrestling guy. You know what I mean? So uh, even in the gym, it's like that, dude. And obviously, he's inefficient with his energy, as we know. He turns purple. <laughs> so it, it's just not going to be a good night for Lesnar. It's going to be a good night. He for can, Go ahead. Sorry. He, he can get a takedown, stay on top, and pummel. That can happen. That can happen easily. I just don't, I, I don't feel like that's the likely outcome here. If that happens, it's going to look like Hunt never had a chance, but it could easily go the other way. I don't don't s- take, take the guy who fights, not the guy who retired five years ago. Yeah, for sure. I got Hunt here. And uh, it's going to be a good moment for the UFC and the sport of MMA just because a guy that left our sport and you know for five years and went to go do the fake wrestling and now he's just going to come back and beat a top 10 guy that's not a good look for our sport you know i hate the whole uh, oh it's good for the sport bad for the sport bullshit but come on when a guy leaves for five years and comes back after that pro wrestling he's not going to beat mark hunt it's just it's not supposed to happen come on mark hunt uppercut left hook knock this fool out main event of the evening John Jones, he's minus 300. The comeback on Daniel Cormier is plus 250. And, I mean, this is a hell of a fight. You know, obviously, the first time they fought, I put, like, five units on Jones. He was, like, only minus 175 or something like that. And uh, it cashed. And at the time, I was like, wow, he's whooping his ass. You know, this is, you know, 5 nothing, 4 to 1. But, dude, I watched it the other night. 
it was actually pretty fucking close. Like DC actually came to fight. I was surprised because like when I watched it live, I was like, wow, he's breaking DC. He's, you know, he's wilting him. But when I rewatched it, I was like, dude, DC actually threw some bombs that would have knocked out most guys in that division in that fight. So now the question is, what kind of uh, adjustments and improvements have each guy made since that fight? Now, we know that DC has been in there with Rumble and Gustafsson. He beat both of them. However, he took a significant amount of damage from both. I mean, that knockdown at the beginning of the fight versus Rumble, and that knockdown, I think it was the fourth round against Gustafsson with that knee. He's been knocked down in his two subsequent fights since uh, John Jones. That's not a good sign when you start getting dropped you know, in your fights. And then with Jones, everyone criticizes his fight with OSP. But the way I look at it is... When you're coming off a 15-month layoff and you 50-44, the number six guy in the world, I mean, are you really going to criticize him for that? Like, to me, I was there, bro, because... Uh, I'm definitely going to criticize him for that. I'm definitely about to heap some criticism on him for that. Let me just say what I think. I, what I think was that, I mean, you got that ring rust, but it's not like OSP did shit. I mean, he landed one or two punches. It's a fight. Punches are going to land. It is what it is. But Jones was in full control the entire time. He didn't feel like it was a fight. He felt like it was a sparring session. He didn't have to take it to that second gear. In this fight, he's going to. But he had been uh, tailoring his whole camp around DC. You know, you, when you're training for a five foot ten wrestler, and then you go up against a six foot three, you know, striker on t- on a week or two short notice. I mean, that's a big style change, dude. With DC, I do think he has his number. However, Jones' time is coming. No one leaves this sport undefeated. I'm not sure if this is going to be that time. DC does have a chance here, though. I'm not counting him out at all, but my pick is definitely John Jones. I just think he's the better guy. He's got that will to win. He's going to get it done. But his time is coming, man. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, I feel like this is going to be the same fight, but there's some, some weird caveats around that here's a here's a narrative before the osp fight that i completely shat upon it was oh now that john jones isn't getting fucked up he's not going to be as creative can he hold it together you know that's the kind of guy that he is and he needs to get fucked up and he needs to be that animal outside the cage in order to be the guy that he is inside the cage etc and when i heard that i was like this that's the dumbest shit i've ever heard please stop saying that and then he went into that fight, and that happened. And if you don't think that happened, you're just kidding yourself. You're calling it rust or something like that. No, that happened. He was as uncreative as we've ever seen him. All he did was was leg stomp and, and walk away, leg stomp and walk away. He had nothing going on. He said himself he had a takedown, and he, and he kind of forgot what to do, and he let him back up and kicked him. I don't know if you heard that interview. He wasn't thinking in there. When the creativity is gone out of John Jones, John Jones isn't John Jones. It's it's the fact that you don't know what he's going to do. And I don't buy the ring rust thing. You're Okay, you're rusty. I get that. Okay, well, you have a guy who's not trying to do anything to you at all, and you have him for five rounds. Why isn't the rust gone after two? The rust stayed the whole fucking time. He was rusty the whole time. I don't think that's rust. I think that's mental. I think something was was off. If you wanted to stay safe, here's your here's your safe things to do. Number one would be take him down and stay on top of him, beat the shit out of him like many other people have done. That's the safest thing that you could have done. That's what you should have done. That's not what you did. The second thing was clinch him, hold him up against the cage, and elbow the shit out of him, 
which you can definitely, you know, seemingly can do to anybody. Why didn't you do it to him? I don't, I don't know. Because you're out there floating around not thinking. I don't. I he even said after the match, you know, I don't know. I couldn't pull the trigger. And and it, what if that's true? What if these changes in his life are seeping into the cage? What if he isn't the same guy? He didn't look like the same guy to me. That didn't look like Rust. I don't know if that leads him to beat DC. DC is X amount of years older since that fight. And like you said, he got dropped hard and he was kind of knocked out for a second against Gustafson on top of that. And he's got that leg injury that he's coming off of, which who knows if that's really fixed or not. Um, he wants to win this fight. John Jones wants, John Jones wants to win this fight. It's just that first one was close. You know what I mean? Easy. In a way, close, but a decisive, easy win for John Jones because when he took over, he took over. If he's not the same guy and he can't do the creative things, reach out, touch hands, drop an elbow, turn it into this, the up elbows, you know, he looked like he was trying to look like John Jones in the OSP fight and that he wasn't John Jones in the OSP fight. I can't pick against him because he's John Jones and DC is old, but... To me, that was more than Rust that didn't look right. I think this probably plays out in the same way that the first one did, maybe a little bit closer, but I think John Jones pulls out a decision. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned that maybe it's not just the Rust. You brought up some very good points, but the style matchup is just so different. You know, with DC, when a guy's in your face the entire time, you're forced to fight. But, you know, with a guy like OSP, when he wasn't trying to fight him, I felt like Jones was like, I don't really have to do shit. You know, sometimes in the gym when you're sparring, when some dude's coming at you, that's when you can let your counters go. But when a dude's running away from you, it can actually be quite frustrating and you start to not look like yourself out there. I think that might be what happened in that fight. But at the end of the day, only John Jones knows what was going on there. So we're going to have yeah. to see, man. Now, I A good example of that is when you were talking about Nelson and uh, Rochelle and that Nelson couldn't land on Rochelle, right? It's only because Rochelle had no want whatsoever to exchange punches. He was only into not getting punched, right? So OSP only not into not getting punched. Okay, I can I can deal with that. That's decent. And and John Jones couldn't get to him, but he should have taken him down. He should have clinched him. You know what I mean? Plus he got hit. If you're looking out for that one thing, then sure as shit, don't get hit by it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he did. Let me ask you this, Sean. So, you remember at the end of the fourth round, John Jones takes down OSB. He's, he's got that vicious ground and pound going, but then the bell rings. It's the end of the round. A lot of people think that with, you know, 20 more seconds in the round, he could have finished him there. Obviously, there aren't 20 more seconds in the round. However, if he would have got a fourth round TKO, would there be a different narrative right now? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He should have finished. Other people have finished OSB. Other people are not John Jones that finished OSP. If he wanted to be safe, he should have closed all the distance up. And and why wasn't that the plan? Why why didn't he think that in there? You know what I mean? Like why wasn't he thinking finish? He didn't he didn't look like he could put anything together at all. It was literally only that oblique kick over and over again. You know, there, there's that possibility that he wanted to get past that fight so he could ensure that he was gonna face DC. Right, so get past it. Take him down. Get yeah. past it. Clinch him and elbow the fuck out of him. Don't stand there and give him a chance for five rounds. If you want to get past it, if you want to be safe, 
close to get to the place where he can't hit you with that. He's not going to fucking submit you. Get him on the ground. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he didn't. He didn't put it together. And and the powerlifting thing, um, to an extent, is real because his cardio didn't look good to me either. But it, more telling is what was said by Greg Jackson in the corner. And it's not just that he was like, I told him powerlifting would slow him down. I told him powerlifting would deplete his cardio, blah, blah, blah. It's the fact that Greg Jackson has this thing that he wants you to do and you are not doing it. It's not like the first time that ever came up was in the corner after the fight. I'm sure during camp he was like, this powerlifting is not a good idea. And John Jones was like, not good. It's not good. There's something not right about him that wasn't rust, if you're asking my opinion. And you are, because I'm on your fucking show. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I agree. The, the reason I bring up the rust was just because, look, 15-month layoff and you still win 50-44, so you can make the excuses for him. You can say, you know, that that's why it was 50-44 and not a fourth-round TKO. But at the end of the day, he still didn't lose any rounds in that fight. But I agree with you, the creativity and all that. I just feel as if he was trying to get past that fight. But you know what? You go back to his fight with Rashad, and it, that, he wasn't that great in that fight either. You know, sometimes people have off nights, man, and every matchup is different. So I, I'm so intrigued by this one, you know. I don't have any money on the line this time because it's minus 300. Last time it was playable straight, so I, I, yep. I went in. But this time it's a little chalky. I think DC is live, but you know I'm not betting against John Jones yet. Yeah, it's tough to it's tough to do to go against John Jones in, in a fight that you know he's going to be motivated in. But you know this has been said to death. But DC fights John Jones on the night of that OSP fight. He probably wins. He probably wins. And if that is whatever was going on, if that's still going on, he's in trouble because, you know, DC ain't going to just let you leg stomp him forever. He's coming for you. You know what I mean? He's coming forward. But then again, that gives John the opportunity to counter, which he didn't have in the OSP fight. Now, I have a question about this fight, too, because, you know, what are the changes in uh, DC's game plan? Because he always does the same thing, which is go forward with his relentless pressure. He, he's like Cain Velasquez, but, you know, he's he's the DC version of Velasquez, right? He He's in your face the entire time. Um, you know, what's going to be different about it this time? And, you know, I'm not convinced it's actually going to go the full distance. I think someone is going to get finished here. Oftentimes, you know, and this is just a little theory. This, this may not have any relevance to this fight. But oftentimes when fighters have a five-round war, their next fight finishes inside the distance. Pettis versus Benson. You know, uh, there's, there's so many more. Machida versus Shogun. Hendo versus Shogun. I mean, I, I could go on. I, ha I have like a whole list written down. Faber versus Barrow. Like there's so many examples where they go the full five-round distance the first time, then in the rematch, it ends inside the distance. I think this could be one of those cases because if you watch the first fight, I mean, they were just unloading on each other, dude. So, I mean, can they really last five rounds each guy? I think uh, DC could get choked out or knocked out, and I wouldn't put it past DC to knock out John Jones either. I think if there's going to be a finish, it'll be a John Jones sub because he keeps on talking about he's looking for that, he's practicing that, he's, you know, that could happen. John Jones is that guy where if he's like, I want to do this to you, he might fucking do that to you. You know what I mean? And DC's game plan isn't going to change at all. I think he's going to do exactly what he did last time. But if you don't have some creative shit to come up to, to fight him off with, you know, you're not going to oblique kick him for, for five rounds. That's not going to work. 
Yeah, but DC is also not going to run away for five rounds. So we keep coming back to the same argument we've been having, which is DC is going to give him opportunities to counter. That's what Jones needs. That's the difference. Also, the body types, obviously. And OSP is just a completely different matchup. OSP, you know, a lot of people shit on him, but he's actually really tough to fight. He's that dude in the gym that injures people. You know, you kick him and, uh, you know, you kick his elbow and break your foot. He's that kind of guy. He's just, he's bony. He's tough to fight against. DC's a different animal. He's also tough to fight against. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not talking shit. I'm just saying the matchup is completely different. When you got a guy coming towards you that's going to engage you, that's going to try to fight you, it's different than a guy that's trying to run away for five rounds. That's, a guy that's, yeah, just, a guy that's just happy to be there, that's just happy to say, hey, I got to fight John Jones, whereas DC literally wants to beat John Jones. I agree. I agree. It's going to be fun regardless, but I, I think it'll probably look pretty similar to the first one. Now, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, what's the fight to watch for UFC 200, Sean? Fight to watch? Um, probably Lesnar Hunt, you know what I mean? Because that's going to go, it's going to go super violently one way or the other, probably pretty quickly. That'll be fun to watch. Um, you know, it, it draws a lot of eyeballs. That's good for everybody, basically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they got Brock on the card for a reason. You know, after Connor pulled that shit, they they were like, "Hey, you know, you're not bigger than the UFC, dude." So they 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 put up a good co-main event fight. You know, it's up uh, ahead of some title fights, which you know in the past a lot of fans would have criticized. But to me, it's like, look, dude, you know, we're still getting the title fights. It's not like they took those away from us. And now we get uh, Mark Hunt versus Brock Lesnar, the ultimate striker versus the ultimate wrestler. So. I'm definitely pumped for that. My fight to watch is Jose Aldo versus Frankie Edgar. Look, the first time they fought, that was arguably fight of the year, at least in my book. I, that was, you know, I love that fight. I think it's criminally underrated. It was so technical. It was so back and forth. You know, Frankie got to show his heart. Jose Aldo got to show his athleticism early on. But like we mentioned, their career tra- uh, trajectories have gone in two completely different directions. And now they're going to meet at uh, the biggest event in UFC history. So that, that's my fight to watch. Who is your fighter to watch for UFC 200? Gegard Mousasi, definitely. Uh, after putting on a, a fucking surgical striking performance against Talos Latis, Saturday night he's going to put on a, a, an amazing wrestling and top game clinic. He's going to be sliding all through Santos's guard, doing whatever he wants to him, taking his back, beating him up. And, and after seeing what kind of striking this dude is capable of and what kind of wrestling this dude is capable of, how can you not have him ready to go title shot-wise and, and one or, at the most, two more fights from now? Yeah. You know, he's super under, underrated, and after Saturday night, it's going to be tough to underrate anything that he does. He's peaking. It's, it's his time right now. He's underrated, but he's also a minus 275 favorite. So, I mean, it's not like he's being disrespected or, or he's getting a lot of respect. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And whenever a Musasi's the second fight on the card, you know the card is super stacked because in Musasi's UFC career, he's only been in the main and co-main event. So for him to be the second fight of the night, that tells you the magnitude of this event. And uh, my fighter to watch is Kelvin Gastelum. Look, he's had two close split decision setbacks. He's only 24 years old. We want to know where he's really at. How good can this kid really be? This is a monumental moment. If he can go out there and beat a guy like Johnny Hendricks, a former UFC world champion, a guy that many people thought beat GSP, you know, the 
The sky could be the limit for Kelvin Gastelum. This fight is pivotal, and uh, he's got to win it, man. So Kelvin Gastelum is your fighter to watch. Now, Sean, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. Always a pleasure, my man. Definitely going to be shooting the shit. You know, uh, after we do this for days to come, can't wait for the fights. And just let the audience know where to follow you, bro. I'm at Sean Carey Tattoo on Twitter, and you can get my bets at FuriousFightPicks.com. Either way, but I'm, you know, always want to talk about fights, so just hit me up and ask about fights. We can talk. It's no problem. I can't get enough of it. Yeah, you guys definitely got to hit up Sean. I've said it many times. He is the MMA handicapper of the year. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I, gotta I gotta choose my words correctly, right, Sean? That's, so, that's uh, right. Yeah. So definitely follow him, Sean Carey Tattoo. Follow me at Best Fight Picks, bestfightpicks.com for the picks, and subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And until the next time, enjoy the fights. Thank you.